And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, everybody working up. Everybody's working. With that time, Jersey. We're still riding with just the two of us here on this edition of Times R. Seth Kaiser texted us earlier today to say that he was about to go kayaking, which is uh, how I assume that he was continuing his vacation, not offering to do a podcast from a kayak. I'm Joshua Briscoe. The next voice you'll hear will be <laughs> Nate Taylor's. But Nate, uh, I had a realization driving home from Chiefs Pressers today. I was doing a, a radio interview with the, some friends up in Lawrence, and mm. uh, towards the end of our conversation, we talked about the offense, the defense, Patrick Mahomes, Steve Spagnuolo. We've talked, we talked about all the stuff we talk about. And then we got to the end of our conversation, and he said, all right, you know, before I let you go, what do you think the Chiefs are going to do against the Raiders? And I had to stop for a second and think, you know what? I haven't given that a whole lot of thought this week because it's not just you, listeners, that may feel like the Chiefs played the Raiders merely three games ago. That's the truth. That's what happened. How different are the Chiefs after uh, a 10-point win over the Cowboys and a 13-point win over the Broncos? I don't know. I have no idea. It feels like they're kind of the same team. The Raiders are the same team, if not a little more hurt. It, it, what a weird scheduling quirk that we're experiencing here, Nate. Yeah. Um, shout out to the NFL, which I think realized like maybe six, seven, eight years ago, we should have all the divisional games mean more uh, mm-hmm. in December. You should make them doubly important uh, and let all the interconference play be in September when it's sunny and every team has hopes and aspirations. <laughs> but when it gets dark and cold and bitter, uh, then we can play the teams you, you as a fan, are taught to hate the most. It, it's it's yeah. it's a wonderful scheduling trick, gimmick, whatever you want to call it, but it does put us in this precarious situation where um, do we really need to see both these teams play again? Um, right. Which I feel it like the feels che- like we're rewatching an episode of a show that we just we just got <laughs> finished with. Like, are we ready for the rewatch yet? I don't know. Yeah, now I know I know Chiefs fans uh, who are listening are probably like, "Hey, uh, we enjoy playing the Raiders because when Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid have been a part of the team, we have won a considerable amount of the time." So, mm-hmm. um, and again, we sort of expect uh, the outcome to be a certain way. I think most of the reporters in Las Vegas uh, will probably expect a similar result. But, you know, it's not like what we have going on in the East, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I I tend to agree with Ryan Shazier because I was kind of dabbling in their uh, players' podcast on The Ringer. Shout out to them. But he was like, they have the best rivalry in football. And I tend to agree between Steelers and Ravens. Um, like I want to see part two of that, right? Or I want to see more of part two of that. I guess is probably the better way of saying it. Clearly, Mac Jones is going to throw the ball more than three times, right? In in two two and a half weeks <laughs> against against the Bills. I mean, how much more up for debate? Ooh, but more, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, give him ten attempts. Uh, yeah, he'll hit double digits. But, like, I definitely want to see that because, you know, Bills and their fans are just so salty. Uh, right. It's actually delicious on my meal, and I don't care about either team. Yes, 100% uh, <laughs> agree. 100%. Um, but, yeah, for Chiefs Raiders to kind of be one of those earlier divisional games that the second the second the rematches come up in early December, it is slightly different than most of them being in late December. Interestingly enough, too, that, you know, this starts to, you know, this is the second phase of a three-game stretch that we talked about last episode, which obviously um, the Chargers being perhaps the more important game on the road in L.A. on the 16th. Um, Yes, I am acknowledging right now 
front and center of the podcast that like kind of has a little bit of trap trap game feel to it. It's absolute. I don't know if it's a trap game. It is definitely a look ahead game, though. No question. So it's at noon. I'm not sure what the difference is, by the way, between a trap game and a look ahead <laughs> game. I just decided to make that differentiation for no reason. I'm looking ahead and now I'm in a trap. That's uh, right. Yeah, that is what you look ahead and then you fall into a trap because you're not looking at the floor. I get yeah, that's maybe it's the same thing. Um as you were saying that I I, I think I think we've reached uh a compromise there. But but you're right. I mean, uh am I kind of looking ahead to the Chargers? Yeah. Cause like I'm not playing on Sunday. <laughs> but well, that, like but so I, you know, I understand that the Raiders are a team that um, can tell themselves when they enter Arrowhead on Sunday that they are and should be the more desperate team based on mm. their record in comparison to the Chiefs and obviously uh, divisional games meaning one and a half, sometimes twice as much if you lose the tiebreaker, which, you know, if the Chiefs win, the Raiders would kind of, their their path towards the playoffs would be shrunken even more. Yes. And, and look, for for no percent of the time do I want to say that Chiefs Raiders isn't always a good time. It really, like, even whenever both of these teams were god awful, it was fun. <laughs> um, even whenever one team was just clearly worse, it's it's always fun. I just feel like I have deja vu. And, and the other part of it is in a like analytical from an analytical uh, perspective, not like analytics, but like analyzing. Mm-hmm. Again, with Darren Waller being hurt, and that's the biggest thing from this entire week, injury-wise, news-wise, whatever. Um, the Chiefs have been relatively stable on the injury front so far. But Darren Waller be- missing practice through Thursday, which is where we're at right now, would be a major story come Sunday. Other than that, though, I think these teams feel pretty similar to where they were at whenever they, they met three games slash four weeks ago. The the contrary view on that is part of the reason I think that Chargers game is, as you have alluded to, the one that we're already looking ahead to because it's prime time and a short week, which is obviously huge for what you are you know actually preparing for. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, they played in week three and these the Chiefs defense is basically 11 different dudes. <laughs> it's not, but it might as well be. Yes. Uh, the, the offenses, both of these offenses are in stranger places. I think the Chiefs offense right now feels worse than it did back in, in week three um, I, without, you know, all of the turnover problems the Chiefs mm-hmm. were having back then. But it just sort of feels a little more constipated, I guess. I've used that word way more than I want to over the course of this football season. <laughs> uh, and also... Who are the Chargers now? Because in week three and four and five, after five weeks of football, they were four and one, and the AFC West was looking scary. And then now they're losing to the Vikings, beating the Steelers, losing to the Broncos, beating the Bengals. Like, I I don't think that those two teams will be able to to copy their homework from week three. Chiefs and Raiders kind of might a little bit. I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, schematic things that will be different, but I don't know how different these teams are. But that also, I think, implies a repeat of of 41 to 14. And I will say that that's not what I am expecting. Yeah, I... I, I but it's tough, because, I mean, I guess the question is, which side could change more, right? Is it the 14 with the Raiders? Um... Because, you know, the Chiefs haven't given up 20 points during the entire five-game winning streak. Or is the anomaly, and, you know, I wrote about this in The Athletic. Hey, guys, <laughs> one of these sample sizes of the five is clearly different. And it's one where they scored 41 points. And here's all the simple reasons why. But, like, they haven't repeated it um, consistently right. enough to what you expect to what you expected given the fact that um the best players on that unit are they haven't changed they are still in the prime of their careers they obviously are you know relatively healthy uh for this time of the season so you know i think i think chiefs fans will be comfortable with taking a 31-17 victory um with the offense sort of you know getting more in line with hey maybe there's one more drive that ends in a touchdown or there's Two drives where you're in the red zone, and instead of splitting or two field goals, you get two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're, I know we're going to sort of dive into that, but yeah, I think 
for for this game, uh, you can I think copy a lot of homework, but it's it's kind of a tougher situation for the Chiefs standpoint, Josh, because everything just about worked, mm-hmm. um, even down to the fake punt pass play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, how much wrinkles are you wanting to show uh, versus like, hey, this worked in the past, where obviously the Raiders are more um, inclined, more there's more incentive for them to be like, scrap this, scrap that, especially if Waller uh, is not on the field. Well, and so let's you you mentioned your your most recent piece up in the Athletic. At least as we talk, I don't know what your timeline is for your next one. That I know you're working on for today mm-hmm. uh, or from from today's, uh, you know. Incredibly insightful press conference, <laughs> but you you wrote about the Chiefs' offensive issues, and I'm I'm most curious about you know through the light the 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 light of this game coming up and going back to 41 to 14. I mean, you say that they did some things well and simply that turned into 41 points, their best offensive production since the Eagles game, and certainly in a in a bigger time. Because again, th- thinking back to the Raiders game, just if anyone has sort of lost the timeline at all. This this was a sub-500 team that that got mauled by the Titans to make them sub-500 and then squeaked by the Daniel Jones Giants. Didn't dominate offensively by any means, did dominate defensively against Jordan Love's Packers. Mm-hmm. That This Raiders game right now, the, the first one of this season, is I think the brightest spot on this season, and it's the it's the reason that you have hope that you're going to see that team show up again. Because otherwise, you take that game out. You mentioned they haven't uh, given up 20 points at any point in, in this stretch since losing to the Titans. But offensively, they've put up 20, 13, 19, and 22 against the Giants, Packers, Cowboys, and Broncos mm-hmm. without the Raiders game in there. So that, that is an incredibly important game for the narrative of this season. But... Are you are you buying that, that that's something they'll be able to dip back into here in the rematch, or are you focusing on the things that they haven't been able to replicate in those two games since? Yeah, it, it's more of the latter. Um, and I and I put this on Twitter, you know, because I I I wanted to make sure I did the math because um, technically the Chiefs scored sixteen offensive points because you know Dan Sorensen with his pick six. Yep. Um. You know, so it's it's troublesome um, as to where the offense is right now. And so, you know, uh, I obviously the average during the five game winning streak would go down quite a bit. Um, but I put on Twitter, you know, they're averaging about twenty one point eight points of offensive points scored mm-hmm. um, during the five game winning streak. And obviously, the most significant is the forty one sample. Uh, but yeah, like this team needs to get into the high thirties. Uh, excuse me, the high 20s, early 30s um, in this game, when you know the opponent is capable of of being um, taken advantage of uh, like the last time. But, you know, I spent a lot of time re-watching uh, the offense on Monday and Tuesday. And I asked Reed, you know, how do you coach your weaknesses to be more minim- minimalized but also be mindful of, and this is why coaching is very hard, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. while also coaching for a team that you've already shown stuff to in one game and you know there's a rematch on the schedule and the game is just as important to them as it is to you because of the division, the rivalry, obviously the playoff picture. Um, and so, interestingly, Andy Reid said, you know, we work kind of in fast forward, but then you also have to go at like this snail pace of like, Okay, fellas, this is how you catch the ball again. Mm. Okay, offensive line, keep your hands within the framework of the shoulder pads, of the numbers, and maybe just a little bit outside. But don't go too far out because they're going to call holding. Mm. Um, You know, hey, Patrick, when you release the ball, footwork needs to look like this. Arm angle needs to look like that. Primarily, obviously, we know he can do marvelous things in the mm-hmm. in the open field and and quietly I have a take about that um Ooh. and when you release the ball the placement needs to be just a just a little bit more precise um 
all of these factors have led to them similar to the turnover issue late in the year or earlier in the year. And, it, and it's so funny because it's like, well, they really wouldn't have a turnover problem if there wasn't like maybe poor ball placement, tip passes, uh, deflections that lead to interceptions. I mean, this is, goes back to even the Giants game where it hit Jerick McKinnon in the face. And every time <laughs> every time I rewatch that play, I just laugh because he's still looking for the ball. He's like, where is it? Where is it? Like, my head, like, he's just whipping his head around like, I know it hit me in the face, but like, where is it? <laughs> um, and so there's all these little things that like add up. And it was it was fascinating to go through what everybody said that we were able to talk to, uh, most notably Andy Reid. Patrick Mahomes, Trey Smith, who's all of a sudden gone from really being like when he doesn't commit a penalty, he's one of the best guards in the league. It's mm-hmm. wild. But like his penalties have been really crippling um, mm-hmm. when he's held or when he's, you know, said something to the referee. Uh, and then I don't know how you explain uh, Tyreek Hill dropping the ball when he has a career of which he's had some pretty good hands. And then, as I wrote in the story, hey, Byron Pringle was the most sure-handed receiver you had all year. Yeah. And then he, he he dropped two passes like that. Yeah. Um, so, from everything that I just said, Josh, I don't, I don't know if there's a way to prioritize them. Because I think they're all kind of intertwined or mixed yes. in. Or like, yes. But, like, but is, there, is there one that you think if they just did this, maybe it would alleviate some of the other things in this weird... Weird mix of a season. I don't know. But because I think you're 100% right of like, hey, here are, I'm going to make up these numbers, but here are 10 things that have gone wrong this year and or over the co- over the course of this year for the offense. And they're all like 10% of the problem. And it might be like there are four things that are all 25%. If I got to like push a button, if I got to go into the settings of the Chiefs 2021 season, if I could just turn off drop passes, Ooh. that would probably be the thing that I would do. Because you're right that like, a large number of those passes that, that, again, not just could have been caught or vaguely catchable, but like next-gen stats, 75% chance of it being a completion uh, sort of passes. I think there were eight of those now, counting uh, Hill's mm-hmm. most recent one. I, I think it's eight. Um, that's enormous. I mean, that you're talking about eight drives ending on passes that should have been completed, not to even count the ones that ended on drops. So... I think it's I mean I'll just seeing the picks and the drops obviously both being the same underlying issue on, on some of those. So I think that's what I would like go to first. But the other part of it, and this is something that, you know, like you said, everybody's been asking about this now for, for weeks, from all the coaches and the players and everything. What do you do if you are a professional pass catcher who has all of a sudden had not not the yips, not not been failed to catch anything, but just have not been as reliable as you used to be or as you've been in your recent past. I don't know what to tell that guy. I don't know what to tell Tyree Hill or Travis Kelsey. Uh, and I feel like also if I went up to them and said, you know, I might've mentioned this on the last show, but like if I, if I go to Travis Kelsey and go, Hey man, have you thought about closing your hands tighter whenever the ball hits them? Just a thought. Just a thought. He should be legally allowed to pick me up and throw me out of whatever room that is. Because, like, he knows that. Uh, so, I I know, we all know what the problems vaguely are in, in your story and your breakdown there both. Take a, you know, a little bit of a, a closer look at them than that everyone should, I think, take to heart. But I don't know how they fix them. Because it's not... We're not talking about Dan Sorensen outplaying snap-wise uh, Juan Thornhill anymore. Yes, right. We're not talking about Ben Neiman getting work over over Willie Gay. This stuff is is super ambiguous, and that makes it really difficult to to fix. I imagine. Yeah, and um, I, I kind of agree with the with the with the drops too, um, because and I, I found this really fascinating. I think um, I know some people in the comments and, and some people that read the story. Um, have have mentioned it to me, but you know when I was looking at hey that next gen stats that you mentioned, man been been a real unlucky season, just been that kind of year, and then you look at what Pro Football Reference considers a poor throw, and it's the highest rate it's ever been for Patrick mm-hmm. in his career, and so he's either a on target 
at a higher clip than ever before. <laughs> yeah. Slightly, as of right now. And, of course, these numbers will get kind of skewed because you're in an 18-game season, we assume. Or, excuse me, a 17-game season, mm-hmm. um, more than a 16-game season. But he's also throwing more poor passes at a higher level than ever. So, like, there is there is no middle. <laughs> yeah. It's like either it's really, really good, and then the receivers, uh, you know, aren't as shorthanded as before, or... You know, he's either throwing the ball in the into the dirt or he's overthrowing guys on deep shots or he's not putting enough air on the ball on deep shots. But um, it's fascinating to know that Mahomes uh, is part of the equation, which I didn't really, you know, when we talked uh, on Monday, I, I, I mostly put the blame on Tyreek for the last for the latest interception. Mm-hmm. And then Patrick was very clear on Wednesday saying, no, if I put it on him, or just a little ahead of him, um, and and obviously because Tyreek's not six two, uh, you know he's got to bring it down a little bit lower. From his opinion, because it's a simple RPO concept, when I rewatch the all twenty two, it's like there is that slight chance that if you hit him perfectly in stride, he actually could take that for a touchdown, um, because of his speed, obviously his quickness, um, but. Again, it did touch Tyreek's hands. <laughs> like so. Um, but he leads the team in reception yards and he also leads the team in drops. So um is this who he is for this season in a in a in a twelve game stretch? Maybe. Um But you know, I think I think some of these plays are like, man, he's open. He's schemed open. So it's not a coaching problem um, from an X's and O's standpoint, even though I know some people would like the Chiefs to be a little bit more dynamic in that category. But I I, I get the sense that um, it's got to be one or the other. It's got to be either the drops have to decline, similar to how the turnovers have declined. and And I will still... I'll put, I'll put, I don't bet y'all, but I will put my journalistic integrity. Wow. The most valuable price of all on, on, on the concept that if the chiefs have one turnover or zero in every game for the remainder of the season, including the postseason, they should win every game. You mentioned, ask ask the Los Angeles chargers. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) So on that, and this, I'm, I'm going to go micro, I guess, to so, make a macro. Well, go ahead. You want to yes. wrap that up? I got, I got yeah. something on that. Yeah. I would say either the drops have to go down or the penalties have to go down. One of the mm-hmm. two, or if you're the most optimistic, hey, maybe both will go down uh, at the same time, you know, uh, to equal, to, to more manageable levels. The, the one thing that you mentioned there and that I, I saw as I was I, – I had gone through your story. I had not gone to the comments to mention them, and I got to just – The Athletic is good as far as comment sections go by, yes. like, a tremendous margin, tremendously better than other ones. And I still get to comments, and I immediately – I don't I, – you would think by now I'd been on the internet long enough, but <laughs> I immediately want to, like, log in and scroll in and reply and say, well, just you listen here, sir. What you're not seeing is this part of it. And I'm, I'm not going to do that, but I will respond here on one, one element – it seems like there is it seems like there's a decent number of people that would rather blame Mahomes for things, which is a little weird to me. But but specifically on the Hill interception um that, that Pat Sertan picked off, I'm I just rewatched it on the little embed video in your story up mm-hmm. at theathletic.com. You're you're and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And I think that this is one of those situations where I expect better from everybody. And I think that's been true more often than not this year where you go, hey, Patrick Mahomes probably wants to have that pass a foot lower. And maybe to your point, maybe he cuts it up there and it's a touchdown or at least a a nice gain. Um, Also, Tyreek Hill is going to have his new contract come around and he is going to demand to be paid like the best receiver in football. Like that is the price tag that he's going to, that's where he's going to start. And Mm -hmm. how is he going to age? How is his speed going to age? We can, we can have that conversation later on, but he would consider himself 
among uh, you know among the five best receivers in football, and I would tend to agree. Top five receiver needs to catch the ball that is, it hits him in the hands, even though it's above his his eye line. You know, I don't think that's terribly controversial or terribly difficult to say that either player on on either side of that particular attempt could have made it easier on the other one or could have kept this outcome from happening. And it just seems like on so many occasions over the entire course of this year, there have been those opportunities where one guy could make a good play to offset something imperfect by another player and no one ever seems to get the bailout. And and maybe that is bad luck that can even out in December and January that gets them to February. Or maybe that's just a problem that they're going to have to figure out how to live with because it has been happening for long enough now that I I do think you can be in kind of you-are-what-you-are territory very fairly at this point in the season. And it leads to the question that as I was going through this and I was talking with my editor, Brendan, we came to a conclusion that just doesn't just doesn't help people. <laughs> I don't I don't have a playbook, y'all. Right. I, I really don't. I, I wish I did. Now obviously I see some formations and I have a general sense of who's the indicator, what the protection scheme would be. Ooh, this feels like a shot play given the down and distance location of the ball and situationally where they are in the game. But it's just hard for me to analyze, and I think for you too, Josh. I mean, they're running slants, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I don't know. Like, it's a it's a simple out against Washington, and I know this is not part of the of the five game streak, which is which the story is sort of framed within. But look, it's a simple out route. He's open, he drops it, and it goes right into Kendall Fuller's hands. Like ah, um. I also get the sense, too, that because because I, I don't know. I'm thinking about this out loud, okay, Josh? So, okay, so, I mean, I'm here for you. So walk, walk with me here. Okay, I'm walking. You only have so many plays, right? And I know Andy has said sometimes it's 300 plays on the play sheet, and that's mostly like towards like postseason type stuff or very early in the season when you haven't shown anything we're kind of at the point now where it's like that play sheet has about 200 plays on it based on my understanding of how Andy Eric what what Pat likes or who the quarterback is at that time and obviously what you schemed for that opponent so we're we're in the season where it's about 200 plays especially because you know you're gonna play the Raiders again you're gonna play the Broncos again Chargers etc um there's only so many plays within the 200 that you feel comfortable calling today with, by the way, and I didn't mention this in the story because uh, it's hard to quantify that too. Like Andrew Wiley has played very, very well, but some of those plays may get excluded because he's the third string right tackle. Like let's, let's not get crazy. Um, and now the defense knows because they listened to us back in September. They're not blitzing. They're not blitzing. Right. So we're not going to do that. We're only going to do that, what, four or five times a game just to, like, sprinkle it in uh, just to keep that that guy's brain working over there, <laughs> uh, that being the quarterback. So if you know you're not going to blitz, then you usually have seven to eight people looking at the ball, which means the receivers know that, which means the quarterback knows that, and now the chunk plays are limited, which means of those 200 plays – I don't know. Is it 35? Is it 30? Where it's like, we can just spread this thing out and let it fly. Well, now you're down to five of those 35 plays. And you work on that based on adjustments or how the game's sort of progressing. Hey, if we're down, maybe we show 10 of those versus, you know, if we're up 10, why would we show those? (laughs) Which is ultimately what Brendan and I talked about, which was like, it's, I think everybody wants the Chiefs offense to be imaginative because it has been for so long. Uh, now the defense is playing well, and we've talked about that before. Maybe there's no urgency to use those plays, but when the defense is preventing those plays or trying their hardest to do that, 
Well, then you only got so many intermediates. You only got so many like bunch trips, you know, uh, single back 21, 12 personnel plays. And so Brendan's point was you kind of have to become predictable, which means then it really does come down to blocking, throwing the ball accurately, completions, timing, rhythm, put the, as Andy Reid said, see the tip of the ball, catch it, squeeze it, put it in the tuck, then try to get yardage by Aaron Pringle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just wanted, you know, there was a there was a third part of the story that we discussed about, hey, is it a play calling issue? Mm-hmm. But for all those things I just mentioned, Josh, I don't know if they are. I mean, I assume I assume they are saving things for January, which, again, is why the play sheet sort of increases to 250, 300, because we ain't got tomorrow if we don't win. Right. So everything's kind of on the table if most people are relatively healthy. Um and you've had all 17 games to get a real sense of like what you're good at. Right now, it's it's just tough to say, "Ooh, I want to criticize the coach because they're not a, they're not inventive enough or innovative enough." Or man, the Broncos seem to think that's that 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 screen pass is coming when hey man, we only got eight screens and we done ran six of them already. <laughs> like, what are you? Yeah. So and so, I think you know I, I want to give Brendan credit because it's like. You don't. It's hard for me to criticize them right now. It will be different, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and I think you know some people did mention this on, on on Twitter in the comments. Like it will be different if you don't see a change in January. Yes. Like if they if they come out here and it's like, man, I didn't really see any new plays, and they lost by ten. Then yeah, yeah. it's a player and a coach problem. Yeah. I think that might be the single most important point, which is, again, not super helpful for how we talk about this team in the interim. And also, like, it would have been nice to have some of the good plays against the Titans, you know, against the Bills. Yeah. Uh, the the Ravens and Chargers losses don't bother me in, in that lane. Um, but also, that was early season where they hadn't shown that much. You get through the Eagles game, really, with, with four at least point production solid offensive performances. Um, before it got all sort of just more difficult. The, the one other thing there that I think is really valuable is that that is such a more interesting way of listening to a post-game press conference or whatever. Whenever you hear coaches or players talk about, you know, hey, so did they show you something differently you weren't expecting from that defense? And they go, no, we just didn't score that many points. Game plan was pretty good. We just didn't really execute. You go, well, what do you mean you didn't really execute? You scored You scored 19 points, right? Like you, you, they're saying the only issue here is that you didn't complete enough passes or whatever. But that I think that's sort of the default for most people. I think if you run that through, yeah, I mean, we had our plays, they did their things, and then we had our play sheet narrow down and and we had the the much smaller pool of plays that we thought was going to work with uh, with what the defense was showing us. And then we dropped some of the passes. We had a couple of untimely turnovers, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's very easy to see how that could actually come down to execution, which is the yes. word that they've been using all year long. Yes. I do think that there is room still for some, and we talked about this on, on Monday's episode, I do think there is still room for some critiquing of why can't you dip in to that January bag whenever your backs are up against the wall mid-season a little bit more? Or is that game against the Bills not worth emptying a couple shots more from that clip? Whatever that may ultimately, you know, end up leading you to, but maybe that maybe the Bills game is too early to in the season to to point back to in terms of like defenses doing the same things. I, I don't. I think that's probably about right. But even against the Titans, like a three point effort, I don't care really how you end up there. Yeah, seems like a failure on a lot of levels. But you're also not saying that that's the explanation for every single shortcoming. That Titans game, everyone everyone's got to wear the Bills game. Everybody's got to wear. Everything since then, though, I mean, to your your point from Monday to kind of synthesize it with your point today, I I think that there is a through line of logic there and that it can be a helpful way of, of processing some of this stuff. I'm also still a little bit dissatisfied with that as like an explanation, but I do think it's a worthwhile one, if that makes sense. Yeah, 
No, and and that's all I'm here to do is just <laughs> to try to help. Um, while also trying to learn something myself. Um, are you ready for my hot take, Josh? Yes, so ready. Okay, y'all. Um, I'm gonna say this as patient and as calm as I can. Oh man. One of my best friends, Mike Jeffries. Me and me and him, we had dinner with our wives, our kids, and he was like, "Nate, are, is Patrick Mahomes ever gonna go back to 2018?" And you know what? It kind of made me sad too. Yeah, because Mike, because Mike said it in, in kind of like a somber tone, and he was like, yeah. "I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want the ladies to hear this, but like, <laughs> is our quarterback never going back to that?" Now, now there, there are obviously. Some circumstances that were then that are not now. Uh, every defensive coordinator wasn't trying to do the same single high safety, which I was screaming in November of that season. Y'all the dumbest people I've ever met. <laughs> uh, obviously, Sammy Watkins ain't walking through that though. And by the way, uh, if you guys have watched the Ravens this year, this is a quick sidebar. Every time, every time Lamar's down. In a we gotta pass the football situation, Sammy Watkins just about always comes through. He's really there all the time. It's crazy. I mean, I mean, he ran a perfect route against the Steelers and quietly F Mark Andrews. Give the ball to Sammy. He been there. He would he would have caught that. You and I both know that. <laughs> uh he did run a perfect route. To where he was like, ooh, this is on coverage. This route ain't gonna work. Let me free lens. I'm in the back of the end zone, Lamar. Um, but anyway, Sammy not walking through that door. No. You do not have for as for as well as Orlando Brown's plan. And I know Seth, I know, I know you, I know you are praising him in your newsletter right now, which you can go read for literally nickels. Um <laughs> I I I I know Andrew Wiley's playing admirably, and this is not the Mitchell Schwartz, Eric Fisher in a prime 2018 season. But Patrick Mahomes needs to go back to scrambling, extending plays, screwing up the play structure. It will maybe um, hurt my journalistic integrity because again, if they if they only turn on if they only turn the ball over once. In a game, they'll win every game this season. They should. Um, statistically, like every study I've like just don't like the reason they lost was because they turned the ball over and their defense was god awful. And if you if you don't have either one of those, like you're the team that we all thought you'd be, despite all the issues you know that have occurred. Um Josh, I think Patrick Mahomes needs to say bleep it more often. You know, there's a reason why people's hearts kind of fluttered kind of in that third down conversion against the Packers. Cause it's like F the system, F the structure, F seven pair of eyes looking at me. If he extends the play, if he scrambles more. And by the way, he let the NFL in scramble yards for quarterbacks last season. He is not doing that this season. Um, I do think you get more chances for chunk plays. Every chunk play that not every, I sh- let me back up a good portion of the chunk plays. And I reference this like, Hey, when they have a completion of 29 yards or more, they have scored on every drive. So they are truly a quick strike. We got to have something big to help us get in the end zone or to get Bucker a chance to obviously be in field goal range. But you know what happened on those plays, Josh? Pat- Patrick was moving. He was scrambling. He was extending the play. Oh, there's Daryl Williams for for 38 yards because, you know, nobody was open, but I made him open. And I I just I just want I just I just want a little bit more of that, even though that may increase the variance of turnovers. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Sometime on Sunday night, I tweeted out that um, why won't Patrick Mahomes take the easy stuff is going to turn into why won't Patrick Mahomes throw deep anymore. And that was sort of a tongue-in-cheek like little shot at how national narratives go mm-hmm. but i would also like to take this space to make something clear i would love to see a little bit more of nfl street Two patrick mahomes he wasn't in the game because it came out like 15 years ago <laughs> but i have not seen may, maybe aaron Rodgers, but i haven't seen a player play the position in real life on the nfl street Two sort of level that young Patrick Mahomes, younger Patrick Mahomes was doing. I would also like to see more of that. I I wonder if if that is in any way a consequence of what I would probably consider and think I considered at the time a bit of an overemphasis on him staying in the pocket, staying in the structure, taking the check down, taking the easy thing, whatever. We talked about that McCall Hardman deep shot for like, a week <laughs> because I, you know, had the sinful opinion of he should probably try to take a deep shot that's not necessarily wide open every once in a while on first down because that's sort of who Patrick Mahomes is at his absolute best. Yes. I I would like to see that return to his game a little bit more. And I don't know if that's something that he's waiting for. Andy Reader, Eric Bieniemy to give him a green light on. I don't know if he needs to give himself that green light. I don't know if he is going to have to do it himself. I'm not sure what the what the adjustment to that will be. And then maybe ultimately for 2022, maybe 2022 is the year that Patrick Mahomes hits everything perfectly and it strikes a perfect balance because he spent 2021 playing a truly what has to be for him deeply frustrating brand of football after spending the the years before playing an absolute like beautiful YOLO brand of football. Yeah. Maybe he gets all of that synced up together next year or maybe down the stretch in the playoffs this year. But I, I am a thousand percent with you on that. Um, When he made that completion, Andy Reid said it was it was vintage vintage Patrick. Yeah, just, I mean even even he kind of got caught up in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now obviously it's it's the narcotic is amazing when you when you're winning. Um, but 
Yeah. Even, but even him saying vintage Pat or whatever whatever his specific phrase was there yeah. is a tacit admission that that is not currently in style. That's the whole point of vintage, right? Vintage is something that, you know, has has either in, uh, increased in value over a, an extended period of time, a nice a nice uh, a nice finely aged wine or mm-hmm. it's something that was in fashion went out of fashion and now it's back in fashion again. Him saying vintage Patrick Mahomes means we all saw it like we all knew that we haven't we haven't that arrow went away for a little bit and that also makes me deeply sad yeah um so that's that's my take you know uh the one chief's offensive touchdown was patrick saying okay they've they've done a nice job of covering everybody in this little zone coverage let me get on outside and do my thing and kind of sometimes i just now, it's it's a tough it's a tough balance because I would like to see it more. I think fans would probably like to see it more. I know defenses are like, please don't do that, please don't do that, please don't do that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and he didn't. He honestly didn't against the Raiders, and they scored forty one points. So it is accomplishable for him to play within the structure and still rain fire down upon you, um, and. As I wrote in the story, his one true "quote unquote" scramble, he didn't even he didn't even run. I mean, he just he just bought himself some time and did the most yellow throw of the year. Ah, Daryl Williams is down there. Ah, yep. let me let me let me get it out there. And again, that <laughs> the next gen stats did not have that as a as a seventy five percent completion no. No. <laughs> complete completion expected uh, stat. But he caught the ball and uh, it led to you know one of the more um fascinating highlights of the year but it's um i don't know i don't know if there'll be games where it's like hey maybe against the raiders you can do that within the pocket you know mostly and and be um you know and be really good now obviously his one rollout to the right that got tyree hill wide open that that's a little bit of creativity and obviously using your legs for your arm where you I don't know if I would call that extending the play, but obviously that there's elements of that, uh, of his athleticism and his arm sort of um, making it impossible on the defense. But, you know, in January, as we get closer each step, or if we want to look ahead, maybe <laughs> against the Chargers, we'll, we'll, you know, they may need more of that uh, than in these previous games. Uh, I I would like to mention something completely unrelated. I mean, like incredibly vaguely related, and then we can move to uh, to back to the the Raiders game on on Sunday. But I just wanted to read something. Um, it, it is a a transcribed quote from Eric Bieniemy today. Y- you, you already know because we already talked about it. Because <laughs> I just couldn't. It's it's a rare moment for me whenever uh, something happens that I at a press conference and I just need to make eye contact. So someone knows that I know that, you know, that I know that we all know. Mm -hmm. And I'd just like to read this quote from Eric B here real quick. And then I need to, I need to then say a couple other things that are very important. So Eric B was asked about McCole Hartman. Uh, His snap counts diminishing total of nine snaps against the Broncos. Here's how Eric B began his answer about McCole Hartman. Actually, I thought McColl did a great job last week. I know he only played nine plays, but those nine plays, he played fast, he played hard, and he was productive when given the opportunity to do so. Now I, I've got two I've got two <laughs> things, okay? First one is I'm gonna I'm taking my own press conference here right now. If you have a follow-up question, Nate, I'll take one question from the media, I suppose. I'm about to ask a question to okay. you the podcast that I the reporter didn't did not ask. Went in my head. Presser went somewhere else. I didn't I didn't box out anybody well enough in this in this press conference here. I'm gonna say, much like the Chiefs, I had the game plan. I had the next play in my head, and I failed to execute. So whenever I ask this question as a rhetorical one, I acknowledge that I should have asked this question as a literal one. This is my bad. But here's my question to everyone, and also Eric Bienemy. And I'll save it for next week if we get them. Next week's Thursday. I will ask this question later in the year if things continue in this direction. But if McCall Hardman played fast, hard, and was productive, 
when given the opportunity to do so. Why would he only play nine snaps? We got the Demarcus Robinson, Josh Gordon attempt. Byron Pringle was out yeah, there all the time. That, that, that's the one. If, if Marcus Byron, Kipp got his four snaps. <laughs> if Byron Pringle's going to drop two passes. If if those guys are gonna, we all, we all know. Look, man, and you could if you want to talk about Eric Bieniemy talking about Josh Gordon, you can have that one because Eric Bieniemy had a couple of zingers today. But we, I think we kind of know that the Josh Gordon thing. At this point, I'd be surprised if something really came from it, which is disappointing. But it's kind of where I'm at. I know exactly who Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson are. The biggest surprise I've gotten from either of those guys in years is that Byron Pringle dropped two passes against the Broncos, and that was a negative surprise. But, and I know he's being a good coach here. He's being an offensive coordinator of a, a still very young player who has had a very disappointing season. But either he hasn't played that well or been that productive or been that useful, or you failed as a coaching staff for not getting a very fast and powerful and excellent player on the field for more than nine snaps. I obviously am insinuating that it's more the former than the latter. I don't think the Chiefs screwed up by not getting more touches to McCole Hardman. We've seen it, his role declining over the course of this year. But I just, I almost fell out of my chair at, well, look, man, I mean, I, it, it, you could have asked Eric Bieniemy about like, I'm guessing that Nick Allegretti had like one or two snaps in this game because he usually gets a one or two here or there as like a, the extra lineman or whatever. I feel like he might have gone on a 15-minute long session about how great Nick Allegretti is. If you would have asked him about like one run-blocking snap, he might have had. And to be there on McCall Hartman bums me out. I just couldn't believe that, I couldn't believe that he said that with a straight face. I guess he's wearing a mask, so I'm not sure that he has a straight face, but I believe he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, which leads, I'm sure, the listener to to ask me, Nate, how many snaps does McCall Hartman go play? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Over uh, under nine. Over under nine and a half. Let's go eight and a half. Over under eight and a half. I'm a. I'm I would a, take the over. I'm gonna like say. I'm gonna say more. It, it can't. No, hey, he had one target. He did catch it. He did get upfield. And uh, I think the play went for a first down. Um, but if that works, then, then bring him back in. One or of the is qu- he getting saved until January? Is he on mothballs until January? <laughs> I I kind of wanted to ask Andy this, but it's, it's again, kind of that scenario where I know that he knows that I know mm-hmm. he ain't going to answer this question. <laughs> Yeah. But coach, did he do something? Like, yeah. like, like, like sometimes, sometimes you just want to be like, I like again. I, I'm a, I'm honest with with all the questions. Obviously, I'm not trying to waste anybody's time. But sometimes you just be like, coach, did, did he do something? Well, like, is is this disciplinary? Like, you know, um, we were asking look, those questions about Juan Thornhill. Like, yeah, I mean, we this is not totally. And we were asking inverse questions about Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman, you know? Like, like, did those guys do something like help a grandma across the street? And you were like, that guy's got to play more? What happened here? Yeah, I mean, I remember back in the day, uh, you know, they'd be like, hey, you know, Derek Thomas not going to start today. Missed the team meeting. <laughs> like, is right. it one of those things? Like, uh, but, you know, there are more, in my you know, in my opinion, given the, the access we have and, and what we can work within, in terms of timing and framework, there's just more important questions to ask. But it is it is fascinating to just be like, he he didn't do nothing, right? <laughs> like he yeah. did he do something over? I would, I'm not insinuating that he did something over Thanksgiving, but like, coach, just don't make no sense. Like he's too fast. Even if the, even if he got the drops, it's like, well, he still like when he catches it, he's still gonna be really fast. You know. By the way, they've kind of hidden um, those jet sweep plays over this three game stretch too. Just yeah, just. just you know, so again, January, baby. hey, we had all those January we, jets. We had all those jet sweep plays and uh, yeah, put them away for right now. <laughs> like, like, well, how many jet sweep plays you got? Well, about 20. How many have you shown so far? 13. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we want to show the variations off those? No. Do we want to be Kyle Shanahan? Uh, by the way, um, I encourage people to watch what Kyle Shanahan does to his to his run game in San Francisco because mm-hmm. They may not make the playoffs, so they're like kind of in playoff mode already, which again, different from a play calling scenario than where the yeah. Chiefs are. You know, they're leading the division. Um, sadly, 
Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel's really, really matters. But mm-hmm. every week they do something different in the run game, and I'm just like, why, why are you, why are you showing this right now? It's, it's what, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> he's showing it right now because he's got Jimmy Garoppolo so running good. his zone read, so oh. he's gotta, he's gotta make sure that he could. He, he wants to have the opportunity to put more behavior on tape in 2022. <laughs> we run in jet sweeps or end around handoffs to a wide receiver. Why are we showing this right now? And if the Chiefs do not steal this, everyone should be upset. Because yes. I just imagine either, you know, McColl or Tyreek either motioning down and then sort of, you know, doing a circle coming across and then Patrick Mahomes having... I don't know, Daryl Williams, because he's probably the more better blocker. Um, as like the lead blocker coming off the of uh, the running back as the lead blocker coming on an edge play. Like, oh I'm I'm telling you, I would be screaming. If I was in that building, I'd be like, Andy, we gotta figure out some packages. We gotta figure out some formations. Yeah. Like, have you seen what they're doing over there? <laughs> like, oh so again can't really criticize the coaching right now in terms of offensive schematics but with each game we're getting closer to if if things don't change for the better because you can you, you did they, they know they can steal things right i mean people have been stealing stuff from andy reed for decades and i mean that literally yeah i mean i i think what andy reed go back to um Rose Bowl right and, and some of the various uh, mm-hmm. things that came to light during the Super Bowl run. I think my concern is that Andy Reid is playing with um, public domain rules. Like if it if that play happened over 80 years ago, it's fair game, but it's intellectual property if it's less than that. That's my concern is that he's he's grinding the film from 1940. But it's like, <laughs> but coach, like you want to look at what Kyle Shanahan just did? It's like, well, yeah, but I mean, what am I? I can't steal. That's his play. Yeah. What? What if? I don't actually think Andy Reid thinks that. Look, to be clear. Um, this is one of the things that you can always just imagine. But look, there's two coaches that like systematically matter to the framework of the NFL, the the, the fabric. There's only two. And Bill Belichick got off the bus and was like, watch what I'm about to do to these boys. <laughs> <laughs> Even like I've never been a Patriots fan, but I've always appreciated sort of the brilliance when not cheating, um, <laughs> like it's like I will be talking about that game the rest of the NFL season, Josh. The rest of the season, because we gonna move these boys, and you are gonna wear a scuba suit, and it ain't even gonna matter because right. you're not gonna be passing. <laughs> Mac Jones could have paid someone to go play quarterback for him in this but, game, but I'm I'm telling you, Bill Belichick probably has somebody like, hey, look up the last time the conditions were this, and spit out what the spit out what the score was. Hell, we're gonna take it even further than that. <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna go the complete extreme and get away with it. Ah, so I, I you know, there's only two coaches that matter. In my opinion, right now, historically, you know, fabric of the league, it is Andy Reid, it is Bill Belichick, mostly because they've been doing it for so long at such a high clip. Obviously, they're both Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, they've won over 200 games. Uh, they continue to innovate, evolve, but they're such good historians of the league that, like, mm-hmm. of course, when Andy Reid's in a Super Bowl, he's like, "Why would I not?" Like, Daryl, don't don't get or Damian, don't get the don't get the first down. I, I want it to be fourth and inches. Why? I got I got to play. You remember that? This play since two thousand and six. Go down short, short. You know, like how many plays can I get? And I and I need to tell the refs about the play. And I need to. Bill Belichick's just like, look, man. Um, Mac, I want you to take this nicely. But have you watched football when there were no face masks? Because that's what we about to play. <laughs> that's that is literally what we about to play when we got the ball. Okay, like uh, we can uns- the league can we unscrew face masks? Because I might want to do that. Like, can we wow. just take it all the way back? Because okay, I'll- quick, for player most likely to unscrew their face mask <laughs> voluntarily. I saw a video of Brian Cushing a few days ago. Ooh. I kind of forgot about him. That he was dude very would have good. rather played without a face yeah, mask. Yeah, he's very good. Um, then Dominican Sue just <laughs> just came to mind when you said that. Yeah, um, yeah but I just, you know, um, yeah, all this goes back to, like, it's a fun time in the league. 
we've we've got through Thanksgiving. Thank goodness. Um, you know, I hope everybody is is doing well. But this is like again, we're getting to the divisional rounds. It's kind of getting exciting. Kornacki's going to be telling us the playoff probabilities for all these teams on Sunday night. <laughs> and, like, and of course, I'm going to be enthralled watching it. Um, but when you get to, like, this time of the year and it gets cold, like, you know, it, it's it's about being creative. It's about, you know, all the little advantages that can give you a big advantage um, are minimizing the weaknesses that could help your advantage. Uh, obviously, going back to the Patriots. And... Ultimately, you got to tackle better. You got to block better. You got to catch the ball. And your quarterback has to make wise decisions. Um, and so even if it's a look ahead game, even if it's a trap game, like this is probably because it's a rematch and you know each other in and out and you've watched film on each other and it's a rivalry. Like this is really a pure just straight up traditional football game for the Chiefs. This isn't like playing the the, the Cowboys. We're only going to see them every four years. You know, everybody on television is watching. Like it's a noon kickoff, and just go block better than them. Just go tackle mm-hmm. better than them. Just go pass rush. Just go not drop the ball. Um, and like honestly, I'm kind of in the boat of like, don't even show them anything. Like, is this a message to the team about you have to execute before we even get to the good stuff? Yeah. That would be my question because I was literally just thinking through, like, what do I want to say about this game before we call it a wrap? And to that point at the end, like, I look, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I want them to be as creative as possible literally 100% of the time just because, like, it is – that is football candy. Like Yes. So that, – but that's not me saying from a strategic standpoint. It's just acknowledging my biases. Of, I would love to see crazy bleep every drive. But – the AFC West rematch, you've already played, you played them a few weeks ago. Uh, it, like you said, it's a noon game. All of that, I think you could point to, hey, yeah, just go out there and play straight up. Both of you guys, both teams here are going to play this pretty straight up. My question to that was going to be, can the Chiefs win a football game playing that way? Mm. And I think you, you could argue on some level that they've been winning games playing that way to some extent, um, and, and we'll see how that ultimately evolves, but looking at at everything that we've been talking about the last several weeks and going back to the the Raiders game the the the, the first part of it i think you're right that it's probably going to be one of the more straight-laced games that we that we can see coming not just that we see after the fact that they play that way and and i'll take your prediction i'll, I'll sneak mine in here because i i said uh, yesterday, I think I said like 27 to mm. 20 or something like that. And honestly, I wasn't really giving Darren Waller's injury much thought. I think at this point, like that would be the highest scoring game for the Chiefs against the Chiefs defense since the Titans game, which happened, I don't know, six months ago. And so maybe, maybe the Raiders really do only put up 10, 14, 17. I, I'd probably lean more that direction now. And I think the Chiefs score enough. I think the final score of this game is Chiefs enough, Raiders not very many, assuming Darren Waller doesn't play. Not that he made them terribly explosive a few weeks ago either, but um, I think that's where I end up here. Not that this game is a shoe-in by any means or that we're doing the thing that we did before the uh, the, the Chiefs hosted the Raiders last year and then it turned mm-hmm. into a bus parade. I'm not saying the Raiders <laughs> cannot win this game by any means. I, I think they absolutely could especially if Waller shows up, and even if it's just a, one of those crazy Derek Carr to Hunter Renfro games. You know, I, I think that's in the in the possibilities. I just, I'm, I'm buying what you're selling of, I think this is going to be a kind of straightforward game that the Chiefs ultimately win, and that Thursday night against the Chargers is going to be our next checkpoint for this team making some sort of step in one direction or the other. Um, all fascinating points that I agree with. I would just add to the Raiders have lost four of their last five. As you mentioned, one of their best skill position players may not play in Waller. Um, As I said, last episode, Derek Carr in December in Arrowhead, it just ain't been pretty. Um, Although right now it's 57 degrees out and that's the coldest it's been. That is, you know, that's a good point because I, that like it's actually Derek Carr in October, which 
Not yeah, great. Right. Not great, Chiefs fans. Well, uh. well, let's see. Sunday, Sunday, I got high of fifty-five, low of thirty-five. Ooh, yeah, that ain't, uh, that ain't the December I'm it, aware of, dude. On next Wednesday, it's supposed to get to 71. seventy. Yes. What are we doing out here? Um, right, anyway, it's October, Derek Carr. Okay, so scratch that. Uh, <laughs> they lost four of their last five. They may not have Waller. Um, I do. Here's my best estimation. I do think it's a game about um, sticking to the core principles of our playbook on offense. Mm. And then because there's such a quick turnaround for the Chargers and the Chiefs. Okay, you kind of have to work in tandem. So if we can get away with not showing a ton, then we can use more of those sort of concept plays, whatever, in the rematch against the Chargers because one would assume that would be the more important one and they are the more tougher competition. I'm going to say somewhere Chiefs 27, Chargers, or excuse me, Raiders 17. Um, and, I, and I get the sense, too, that, like, the game plan may change, right? Um, I think Andy Reid has always said, like, there's kind of a gut. There's kind of a feel. Ladies and gentlemen, he's won over 200 games. Like, so that gut and that feel, whatever it is, he's, you know, he's been doing it long enough that it's okay to be like, hey, they sat on the ball. They got up 10 early, uh, which I think has been quietly something not everybody's talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, they scored the first points against the Packers. Uh, they scored the first points against the uh, against the Cowboys. Obviously, they did the last week against the Broncos. Um, they have leads, and then they have slowly squeezed teams out because, again, the defense is playing a lot better. They're getting to the quarterback. They're having more opportunities because, obviously, teams are passing to try to to try to keep up. Um, so if the Chiefs continue that, uh, then I, I get the sense that it'll probably be in that 27-17 victory um, where, honestly, from my standpoint, and, again, for the framework of our listeners, watch the game as, like, are they, again, are they doing the simple stuff that you have to do in January that you can then add, as Josh says, the candy, the whipped cream, the, the whatever in January that, that is going to be, you know, that difference between two good teams playing, um, with their backs against the wall. Cause it's a, it's a single elimination tournament right now. Do all the things that you need to do, um, from a simple football manner. Um, and that's kind of how I'm going to watch this game. Unless yeah. of course the chiefs play a weird game. Right. <laughs> right. Far be it from us to predict a normal football game, but I think we kind of are. We're going to try. We're going to try. Uh, go check out Nate's piece that we talked about on the uh, the Chiefs' sluggish offense. That's up on The Athletic right now. And uh, another one coming around for a, uh, a defensive, circled around the defensive player who, I'm going to just say, hasn't been a Kansas City Chief for as long as some of the other ones. And I'm not going to give you any more information than that. Uh, but you can uh, expect that in The Athletic shortly. Also, Nate mentioned that Seth, though not with us, did have a, a quick little Orlando Brown highlight reel up on his newsletter, mnchiefsfan.substack.com. And you can follow me and all of my other various shenanigans uh, on Twitter, at JB Briscoe. I'll tweet out everything that I do because I can't help myself. So uh, there's all of that. Enjoy another uh, conclusion of another Raider week. We'll see if it is, in fact, a normal game. That's never come back to bite us before. And uh, Nate, I'll let you close us out. They will wear face masks on Sunday. Oh, but, wow. But but if they didn't, oh. I mean, you know, I'm saying I'd still watch. <laughs>